Welcome back to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quillen. Joining me is Russell Johnson. And we haven't been able to do this for a while. We've been pretty um, boxed in with, with things going on. And then all hell broke loose on, on Sunday. And uh, ever since then, neither one of us have really slept. Um, for various reasons, Russell was driving half, halfway across the United States early in the week in the wee hours of the morning. And I was uh, like lighting a hole on fire with my phone. Uh, it's been overheating. I think I've been on the phone almost nonstop since probably 8 p.m. on Saturday night. Um, I was hanging out with some buddies who were uh our friends of the website on saturday night after the game and then after that i was on the phone until like 1 a.m then i was on the phone all day sunday all day monday tuesday i was on the phone around all of the media opportunities for the uh for the today's tuesday recording this tuesday night um yeah i was on around uh, we did media avails with volleyball and, and men's basketball and we have run an insane amount of content. You guys have eaten it up, which I appreciate. Um, and it's just been a crazy couple of weeks. Obviously, they fired. I mean, a couple of days feels like a couple of weeks. They fired or, you know, people say don't extend the contract, whatever. No longer employed by Georgia Tech moving forward. Dave Patnode, offensive coordinator, uh, co-defensive coordinator, safeties coach Nate Burton and corners back and special teams coach Jeff Popovich. Um, sort of the, the three of the four people that, that, you know, tech fans kind of wanted blood from, um, you know, get the ax. Obviously Pat Node's offense didn't score in the last two games, scored six points over the final nine quarters. Here's the thing. We all like these people. We all got to know them. Russell and I both uh, know most of these guys pretty well. I've spent time with Pop and Burton and a lot of time with Pat Node. And they're great guys. And it is a tough part of this business. We get to build these relationships. And then, you know, people get fired because things don't work out. And sometimes there's extenuating circumstances. I think with Pat Node, that's certainly the case with the offensive line issues they had, with the injuries they had this year playing half the season basically with a backup quarterback or a third of the season. Um, but at the end of the day, right, it's a, a results-based business and Jeff's Collins results are not where they need to be. And um, the, the weakest links uh, in terms of outward, outwardly looking at the program were the three cuts he made, you know, Andrew Thacker for now has survived. I don't know what, for sure his role is going to be, I think that's still being hashed out uh, as of now, still listed as at least co-defensive coordinator. Um, and, you know, they're in search of an offensive coordinator. We broke the news on, I guess it was Monday, that they were going after George Godsey, the former uh, Georgia Tech quarterback and UCF assistant, longtime NFL assistant now. Um you know, Goose was able to parlay Georgia Tech's interest into um, what I believe is a contract extension and a raise at Miami. So that's good for him. And, you know, I think that's one of those things that they wanted to kick the tires on. I know that Jeff Collins has a lot of respect for uh, Godsey and 
their paths have crossed many times over the years. And um, obviously Brent Key has a really close relationship there. Will Glover uh, who's on the staff as an analyst. Those guys are tight with, with goose. And I think it made a lot of sense to at least, you know, see if he would be interested. Right. And the money was there if he was interested and um, it just didn't work out. I think the timing of it was not great. And now you move ahead to, sort of the next phase of the search. We're not going to necessarily get into who, but I think it'll be interesting to see kind of the different personality styles um, getting into a lot of different kind of coordinators from guys who are really new to the business to, to guys who've been head coaches at places. Um, so I think there's kind of a widespread uh, of guys. If you want to learn more about that part of it, you can go to jackets online. We I've, kind of broken out the board um of where the oc search is at right now I'll, I'll continue to probably do that throughout this this process but you know our belief is this is going to be done pretty quickly i know russell and i have both talked to recruits and recruits families and even kids uh parents within the program that reach out to us and all the indications are that it's going to be done pretty quickly and they're going to have the coordinator the offensive coordinator piece filled the, the one kind of interesting thing, Russell, and I'd like to hear your take on this is um, there's a, several been several different thoughts on terms of what to do with the other two spots, right? Um, on the defensive side of the ball, you had a corner and safeties coach split up. The special teams has been an issue other than really than kick, kick return and punt. Um, you know, punt return has been solid, but not spectacular but it seems like field goal pat has been a mess um really all three years it's not been not been up to what jeff collins would call up to his standard or anyone else's and i wouldn't be shocked to see them go after a special teams kind of coach too like i could see a situation where they hire a straight db coach and a special teams coach i could see them split their responsibilities i could see moving guys around like larry knight's coach multiple positions so um that part of it's really fascinating. Do you have any insight from, from having talked to recruits or just what you're hearing on, on that front in terms of what they might do with those other two spots? Well, I mean, you know, in terms of those, the other two spots uh, on the defensive side of the ball, um, I think it, it always sounds good in theory in terms of having one DB's coach, um, especially, you know, when you have such a, a seasoned defensive coach and Jeff Collins, who, you know, was hands-on or however you want to describe it <clears throat> with the DBs. Um, but that's a lot of guys to give one coach. Uh, if you're yeah, I mean, it's the, like the an offensive line. Safeties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have five guys that you have to deal with. Um, so that's sort of, that's why so many people have uh, kind of moved away from that in the last few years as we've gone to away from the, you know, three linebacker sets, four linebacker sets, three, four, four threes into the four, two, five era. You've seen teams go to that a safeties coach, a corners coach. Um, so to, to your point, yeah, that's, that's definitely been a, a change over as the spreads become more prominent. Yeah. And then, I mean, the special teams, um, you know, a lot of schools, will use um they'll have somebody be like somebody's secondary responsibility and um for a lot of schools that works um but for for others i mean it is better to have a, a dedicated coach 
Um, but but right now, the way that the um, the level of importance there is on development, I don't think that you can expend a full assistant coach's responsibility to only being special teams. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe you get someone that's cleans that way that can help with another position. Maybe, I, you know, I don't know. I think that's the other piece of this that probably needs to be addressed. And maybe some of it has to do with, too, like what they decide to do with um, the, you know, offensive coordinator situation. I know, some, you know, not everyone on there is a spread person that um, I think I expect or I'm hearing they're going to talk to. There are a couple of air aid coaches um, where you get a little more away from tight end in the, in the traditional tight end sense. Um, so does that change what you do? And it, you know, ultimately too, if you get into the air raid situation, a lot of times there's what's called an inside receivers coach and an outside receivers coach. So you could see shuffling of things. That's where I think Chris Wiesahan really helps them out because that dude's literally coached every position on the off- offensive side of the ball, uh, in his career at, um, at the FBS level. And so he can move around as you, as you need. I think if you look at like Mississippi state, they've been really creative with their, their former tight ends that they inherited and turning them into slots and bigger slots and using them in inline, sort of like what Padno did with PJ Harris. Like you can do stuff like that and certainly could do it with Dylan Leonard and Dylan Devaney, if that were the case, but, um, and there's ways to work the tight end into the air raid too. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot's probably riding on what the OC hire is, what they do there, if there's any other shuffling. Um, you know, Chris Wiesahan's name's out for the Temple job, too, uh, that's open right now. So, um, you know, if he gets that, then that opens up another spot. What do you do there? So that changes the math a little bit, too. Um, and then you could still have guys get poached or, or take other jobs. That's the nature of the business, too. So. You just never know what's going to happen between now and say February, but um, I think uh, I think that um, I'm encouraged. Sort of that there's looking at it as a like an outsider, someone that's been watching the team this year. Um, I'm encouraged that the things that I was most concerned with so far are being addressed. I'm a little bit less concerned. I took a lot of grief for this on JOL, but I was not as worried about Thacker as I was with the way the secondary played all year, right? And part of my thoughts on the defense is offense and defense are an ebb and flow situation uh, at most schools, most programs I've ever covered, you know, um, and teams I've watched regularly. Usually if one side of the ball is struggling, it impacts the other. So when the offense was playing better, like the North Carolina game, the defense played better, right? Um, and the defense played better in the beginning of that game and the offense responded. It's a very yin, yin and yang thing, especially when you have a young team or a team that's not super experienced playing together on one side of the ball like they were on offense this year. And um, I look at it as if you can fix one of those things, it should lift the other side of it up too. So if you get a new offensive coordinator and they're instead of 90th, 60 something in total offense and all those things, that's a bowl team. Um, that was, you know, let's, if we rewind all the way back to the middle of the season, I had a long discussion with, um, 
on the board about, you know, people were kind of crowing about where they were and the numbers and all this stuff. And I said, if you stay in the sixties and things, you're going to, you're going to win seven, you know, six to seven games, you're going bowling. And what happened is everything dropped off. Like the offense dropped into the nineties, the defense dropped into the low one hundreds. And that was sort of, you know, that's how it changed. Right. Um, they just kind of fell apart in the middle of the season. So there's been progress made. It looks a little better, but now's, you know, this is the time, right? Jeff's coaching for his career at Georgia tech at this point. So he's got to be re- make really wise hires here. There's people willing to give him money to make, make those hires. So he's got to do it. Right. So what does that look like? I don't, you know, I don't know. And that's, what's going to be really fascinating as we follow this. And then, the thing that I find funny and you can weigh on this more on the recruiting end, Russell is people are like, well, you need an offensive coach who can recruit. I, th- I think you need an offensive coordinator who can coach and come up with a scheme that's going to score points, whatever the hell it is. Like, I don't, you know, I don't care if they line up in the Maryland eye, like if they can score points, that's what you need. Right. So um, you would agree with me, right? Like, I don't think the recruiting prowess of the offensive coordinator is, is even something that really comes into this. Um, I mean, if he's the quarterback coach, it does. Uh, to a point, I guess. I think I think if you develop guys, it doesn't matter. Like, um, I know a lot of offensive coordinators who are not the world's greatest recruiters that do a good enough job. Like the one that pops in my mind immediately is Charlie Weiss Jr. at USF, who's not exactly Mr. Personality. And uh not my favorite guy in the world and he manages to recruit well enough, right? Like Dave Padnote, I don't think was the world's greatest recruiter. He did a pretty good job recruiting quarterbacks. Like they got some decent ones at Georgia tech, you know, Jeff Sims, uh, tuck, I thought was pretty good. Um, you know, Chaden Perry, Shane Perry is sort of the one weird wild card Cause you just didn't know, but I think Zach Pyron's really good. Um, you know, they had a good shot at AJ Swan. Who's a four-star quarterback who decommitted from Maryland uh, on Tuesday? Like, you don't have see, to be the greatest recruiter in the world. But see, that's that's my thing. Like, I, I'm not sure if I agree with you there, because like, if you look back, like, I know that you know, that, like with Pat Note, it was it was kind of like the the Perry situation was was interesting because of the way that Perry kind of posted their first conversation they had on Twitter. Oh, that was. Funny. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then um, with with Tuck, I mean, Tuck was his his hand picked guy. Like that was that was who he identified, evaluated, and and was all in on. And then um, you know the situation happened at Florida State with Norvell taking the job and um, Taggart moving on, and then Sims and Norvell having a meeting, and then this things escalating from there georgia tech was already talking to, to him at that point but then it, it came down to and you know you were just talking about aj swan but you know maryland was one of the the main other contenders for for jeff sims um come signing day was it would that be 2019 well for the 2020 it was class. the december of 2019 yeah yeah the it was december of 20 yeah exactly and you know seeing that happen and then the same situation kind of played itself out again in a different way for the 22 cycle. Um, there are some, some other 
other factors outside of a, a coaching change or anything like that that you know kind of led you know Zach and, and his family to to reevaluate the the decision to go to school so far away from home and so far away from family but um, you know the same kind of situation played out in terms of a, a kid who many thought was you know locked in on their school their school of choice they were you know recruiting actively for the school and then you know thing, things change and all of a sudden there's, there's GT. And I think that, that was, uh, I'm not sure if you could call it luck, but I think it's a combination of luck and the, um, the, just the, the conversation piece of it, just, you know, getting in early on kids, like you have no idea what's going to happen with um, Dylan Lonergan between now and national signing day 23. Like he started out as a, um, you know, top, top 100 I think he was even a top 50 kid with rivals at one point and I didn't look we rivals released the new 250 today and I'm not sure let me see give me one second well so you know that's interesting you talk about that like I think things change a lot with the different kids too like look at JC French who was in state of Georgia and was vertically challenged um, and his recruitment went super crazy. Right. And I think he ended up at Memphis for now. Yeah. Um, But he, as a sophomore and junior was like a pretty hot prospect. Right. So yeah, exactly. um, He just didn't get taller, unfortunately. And, you know, maybe he hits a growth spurt like in two years and he's six foot three and, you know, Memphis has found a great steal on their hands and they have the next, uh, who's their great quarterback they had that was, oh, Paxton, Paxton Lynch. Lynch, who was like six foot six or whatever. Yeah. It won't be was... Paxton Lynch, but you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes that happens, man. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, that situation, gosh, Memphis, <laughs> JC French and Tevin Carter. <laughs> you couldn't have two more different, uh, styles of quarterback. Yeah. Um, but just seeing all all of that stuff play out, I, I like again, like this is where um, you know offensive coordinator they don't play much of a role in terms of like having like recruiting areas and things like that. But when it comes to quarterbacks and in person communication with recruits, it's so important. Like you you got to have a certain way about yourself. Like the way Jeff Collins is and the way his future offensive coordinator is need to gel together. Like if you've got energy and, and, and you've got juice and you, you know, want to talk about all of the things you talk about all, all the time, then your offensive coordinator needs to do the same thing. If you're, you know, all, all hyped up on you know, getting these kids developed and getting them to the next level and, and all of that kind of stuff, then you've got to have an offensive coordinator who has that same mindset. And at times it didn't really feel like, that was the case um especially you know with with recruiting and like the way that um the quarterback recruiting went well i mean dave was just a different era of guy like dave is a northeast guy he was um an older coach like he was the real outlier in staff right i think you know the sort of personality outliers were are dave and, and brent key probably um Everyone else is sort of on the younger side or the high energy side of things. I think, I think Brent's got plenty of energy. He's just an old school coach. I think Dave was to an extent too. Um, But yeah, I think it clashed a little bit in terms of just what Jeff is, you know, like a, a can of Red Bull, right? Like 
just shot out of a cannon and um i'll say monster energy they probably don't like me saying red bull i think they're monster energy dudes but um uh and don't like things that are red but um regardless uh you know jeff shot out of a cannon dave's so much more chill it was great to talk football with him um i actually got to spend some time with him um watching um zach pyron play uh just you know kind of talking football with them um for a day which was really fascinating for me uh to to pick his brain right like and and find out and i think he's a guy who knows a lot about football i think he'll you know hopefully have another opportunity to be an oc somewhere but i just the fit was always strange to me here uh as a northeast guy as um you know, an East coast guy, I could see why he would be at temple and why that would work there with the big O line. And you can do the, you know, five, seven step drops and all that stuff. That was not what tech was built to do. Right. And right now. um, So it'll be interesting to see what the, the move is here. um, And what are the other dominoes that fall to? I think the, one of the biggest ones that probably helps Georgia tech you know, keep the staff together in the interim is, uh, is Brian Kelly going to LSU because if say Bill O'Brien, had got that job, it could have got really interesting. Cause I would imagine he would go after Tashar choice or, or Brett key who we both has a relationship with. Um, those are the things that get real interesting when these coaching moves happen, right? There's all dominoes. So, um, that that's interesting to me. Um, you know, the big, the probably the biggest news of the offseason, other than the coaching changes, has been the Jameer Gibbs departure, which uh, we had been hinting at for a while on the site and catching grief over, um, including my boy Whiskey Chef, who, who got people laughed at him when he was saying that he thought he was going to leave and all this stuff. That was because it was based in reality. And you saw Tashar Choice literally broke out the Ezekiel Elliott weapon to try to keep him in the fold getting those guys to retweet you know his former his buddies in the nfl retweeting about gibbs and stuff but this is the day and age we live in now this is a portal portal works both ways right and um i think that uh it can if things are going well i think you're cool and the moment things are not going well you have someone that has really high value to some people like gibbs I think it's going to be tough to hold on to them. And, and that's what happened here. And, um, you know, the beauty of it is that they have, um, that they have Dante Smith still and, and Jemias and um, bringing in Antonio Martin, who I think is a really special running back as well. And then um, the kid from Baltimore, I'm blanking on his name, Russell. Ron Kelman. Yeah. So, they have some guys coming in, you know, maybe they look at the portal if they need to for one more back. Um, I would be surprised if JP Mason comes back. I think he's going to go to the NFL. Um, but, you know, looking at all of this, um, you know, a buddy of mine talked to Tashard and what was Tashard's response? He's like, I love Gibbs, but my job's to go find somebody better than him. That's what choice told my buddy. And I was like, that's the right attitude to have, man. Like if you found a Gibbs one time, you can do it again. And I think that's the beauty of what a guy like Tashar Choice kind of his attitude is like, 
you know, look, I'm not going to cry over spilt milk. We move on. We, you know, I'm going to get guys and get better guys. And, and I think that should be encouraging to Georgia tech fans to, to know that that's sort of the mentality versus the tech fans who have been crying on my Twitter feed and on our website and over this and, um, crying on jackets online that never happened exactly so you know they'll move on to the next one and to be honest with you i think um i think in 2023 that's where it could get really interesting because you now have this spot do they you know like not having a gibbs for a year and having dante probably done after next year you could find another gibbs type guy right especially if the offense can turn a corner and they start winning games so that's interesting to me. I'd like to share a word with you now about our sponsor, Section 103, who bring you the best Georgia Tech clothes out there. Original, interesting clothing with the official Tech Gold and the official word mark and things that are hard to find anywhere else. I think it's the best, uh, best tech apparel you can find on the interwebs. It's like stuff that coaches wear it's really cool you get the atl logo that they have um all the stuff super comfortable super cool and they even have youth sizes and women's clothes and and are constantly adding things i think uh the guy who does it i've gotten to know a little bit through uh social media and he just does an amazing job jackets online uh subscribers can get a discount of 10 percent off their first order by using the code jackets online all caps and check out section103.com. Um, great website. They have all kinds of cool stuff. And, and you know, people for years have been asking me for cool Georgia Tech designs, unique things. Um, and even the coaches are starting to wear that stuff. You know, Andrew Thacker is wearing uh, one of the shirts at practice, which I thought was really cool and something I pointed out, not knowing that it was one of these designs. So check out our sponsor, Section 103. Great, great company. Let's switch gears here. Let's get into recruiting a little bit more in depth here. Um, we have two different OV weekends coming up, right? They're going to have one that's going to be more about portal and one that's more about high school kids. And um, kind of as we look at the portal piece of it, Russell, kind of just without getting into too much detail, like what are the numbers you're expecting to see, like in terms of how active they're going to be here trying to get transfers? Well, I know, you know, the we, Jackets Online put up the uh, the expected early enrollee list. I think it was last week. And the number was a little bit lower than people had anticipated in terms of the, the high school level. And I feel like um, I feel like that number is where it's at. And is always, always fluid, especially this time of year. My gosh, um, the, it's it's at a point to where you could almost see that number double um, in terms of adding transfers. Uh, I think three offensive linemen is a very real possibility. One wide receiver is a very real possibility. Sounds like they may need a quarterback. Not yeah. not to replace Jeff Sims. But, you know, just in terms of you need somebody with with warm blood and a heartbeat in that room with two healthy arms. And um, you've got that. And then you've also got the the 
possibility that you like you just mentioned a minute ago about um, adding a running back and then on top of all of that I definitely expect them to if you know they they can find somebody at the position who can stretch the field that they're going to go after a tight end um, especially after showing I mean it really doesn't matter anymore if showing how how often um, the the quarterback was, you know, at least targeting the tight end in the last last few games of the season. Um, but that also may have had a little bit to do with the, the Yates-Leonard connection going back to, to Milton High School. Um, but then on the defensive side of the ball, um, I think that's where things remain a little bit up in the air um, in terms of numbers. I expect them to take a, a transfer linebacker like they did with, with Ace Ely. Um, I think it may be a little bit of a a younger kid, um, somebody who you know may have not gotten as much playing time as they were they were told they were going to at a at a, a bigger school, um, something somewhere something along those lines, or um, and then at the DB, you know, corner and safety, um, you know, they I think the the preference would be to add high school bodies, especially at corner. Um, they, they've got several targets remaining. Um, and then at safety, I think that's where, um, you know, with Carpenter being gone, you know, Wanye likely, I mean, depending on, you know, what time of day it is and, and what his Twitter picture looks like, you know, you, you never know. It gets kind of, uh, there's been a lot of discussion in terms of, you know, whether or not he is going to, to return to school or not. Um, so, you know, if, if he departs, obviously, you know, safety becomes a, a little bit more of a, a pressing need. Uh, you know, they, they have have guys capable, you know, Jalen King, uh, Wesley Walker, and, and, you know, the others who, Miles Brooks, who, you know, made an impact late in the season. Um, and then you know, on the D-line, it, really it's it's going to be a, a best available type thing. I mean, if a kid, a, a former four or five-star kid who is making an impact at a, a power five school, you know, has this decision that he wants to come home and he's got eligibility and it's not going to interfere with the development of the kids they already have on the roster. I mean, it's going to be really hard for them to say no to that. Yeah. I think that um, it's best man available, right? Like they need to win. So, you know, and they had bad luck in this particular cycle with, with the one kind of transfer more, transformational transfer they took which was um you know keon white on the defensive line right like he was supposed to step in and play and he breaks his leg or whatever it was in the off season and just i mean he couldn't run even in, at the end of the year you could tell he was not explosive he's trying to get his his legs back but you saw in the miami game he literally threw an offensive lineman into tyler van dyke and got a penalty because he's he, it was so violent. He, his hand struck the quarterback's helmet on the play. Like that's what that dude's capable of. They haven't had anybody like that in a while. You know, you get Ivy, get, if you can get Jared Ivy closer to that and start to have these pieces, your D line, it changes things a lot. It changes complexion of defense completely. Right. They have not been physical at the point of attack since the staff's been here. They haven't been physical at the point of attack at Georgia tech consistently in a while. Um, just in general. So, uh, you know, that's where if you can find a piece to plug and play here, you can find a linebacker that gives you a little more of a physical edge. You can find um, uh, 
you know, a DB or whatever it is, like whoever, a one piece that can make a difference, right? That Kyrick McGowan type, like Kyrick did a great job of stepping in at the slot receiver, making big plays for them, kind of got um, overshadowed in the second half of the season um, as he was banged up and, and they started really trying to showcase Gibbs a little bit more uh, on the offense and do a little more two backs and stuff. But Kyra, you know, like that kind of splash, you can find them all over. Tight end, obviously, is a place where they need more consistent production. I thought Dylan Leonard played well in the final three games of the season. He was one of the few bright spots on the offense, actually. Um, as you saw, Yates being more capable of finding the tight end and using him correctly as an outlet, um, as a safety valve at times. And then they hit the one big play. The big, only big play they had against Georgia was a tight end pass. Um, but it would be nice to have more there, right? And they they struggled there too because Dylan Devaney played like what one game this year um, with his with two different injuries that were serious. So you know, I I could see them going again to tight end. I could definitely see you definitely see that. There's no doubt in my mind they're going to take several offensive linemen because you just you you got to fix that right now. Um, you don't have the luxury of waiting on Cade Coots or whoever the young guys are that you, you think, or Paula, like those guys, it's great if they're ready to go next year, but I think you need to have more competition at that guard spot. I think that was the real killer this year, right? When Kenny Cooper got hurt and Nick Penley got hurt, they just had no depth whatsoever after that. And we're in a situation where they were playing Paula and Will Lay and, we all love Will Lay. It's a great story. What other ACC school would Will Lay play at right now and start on the offensive line? Duke, maybe. Like, that's probably it. So, you know, I don't think Will Lay would have played for Paul Johnson. Let's put it that way. Like, and he was recruited by him as a walk-on. So they got to get out of that hole um, with the line. I think the tackle situation is actually – better shape with Jakiah Leftwich and, and Wing Green making progress. And you got Jordan Williams coming back. But that guard situation, they got to figure it out, man. Like you can't go into next year with with the situation that they had and 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 no depth at all. Right. So and they need to find somebody that's going to be more productive too. Like Ryan Johnson, um didn't have a great season playing guard. He was actually better when he was out at tackle at times. Um, it was very hot and cold. So that the whole situation has got to get righted. And I think in the portal, you can find some guys. There's, there's so many guys, there's over a hundred quarterbacks already in the portal right now. Like, and what's what, you know, it's, you know, not even December 1st, as we're recording this, like there are options. You just got to find them. And um, that gets back to the one weird thing that is that still drives me crazy about the staff from year one. I still, to this day, do not understand why they didn't take a quarterback when they got here, if they were going to run that offense and you had Lucas Johnson and James Graham and Tobias Oliver as your three quarterbacks. Like it is maybe the weirdest thing they swung and missed on ever Golson, the kid that went to UCF from Notre Dame. Uh, that backfired horribly on him. And there was like one other guy they swung on pretty hard. And I can't remember who it was. And then they just sort of were like, okay, we'll play with what we got. And then came out with an offense that made no sense for, for any of those dudes. And, 
Yeah, those are the little things, right? Like if they were a little more functional in year one, they might have won two more games. You're at five wins there. Last year, there was two very winnable games that they screwed up. Um, and then this year, they had six games. They, they played seven games in the fourth quarter within one point, within one score and, and lost six of them. And, you know, if you move that hump, right, the whole program is viewed in a different light by everyone. But because you're three and three and three, um, it, it just, you know, it's hard to, and even if you had gone from like two to three to four, right? Like at least people would feel like there's progress. It's, it's just a tough situation now. So that's where it gets interesting. And the one thing they can sell is, hey, look, we've played most of these transfers that have come in. They've competed well, right? Andy Ely, you know, Kyrick, Devin Cochran, Ryan Johnson, Jared Sathers. Um, all these dudes have played, right. That have come in like that. Derek Allen's playing some, um, Miles Sims is starting at the end of the year was probably their best corner in the, in the second half of the season, sell that and use that to go get your, your guys that you need to fill the little bit of holes you have. And then overall the rosters now, mostly Jeff's kids, right? So you got to see that that's where this development curve, like that piece of your, your, program has to really take over and your strength and conditioning and player development. And so that's what I think everyone's going to be looking at as well. Cause scheduling getting easier, brother, they open with uh, Clemson and Mercedes Benz next year. Um, and then they'll have old miss and, and UCF in the front end of the schedule too, as non-conference games along with Western Carolina. Uh, that ain't easy. And then Georgia probably is going to be, I would, think not not going to fall off a ton probably between now and then so and then you get free shoes uh as the other crossover game it's going to be a hard year so uh they better step their game up or you know things are going to get really interesting on the flats yeah yeah i think uh that old miss game is that at home is that at it's here yeah it's not in the grove Gotcha. And then what about it's in UCF? the Grove next year, I think, in 2023. And the UCF game is at UCF, right? It's in the bounce house, yes. That's a makeup game from 2017. Someone asked me how all these games ended up on the schedule, and it's just sort of dumb luck, right? The the Ole Miss game was supposed to be played like in 20 in 2012, maybe 2013. Um like a lifetime ago, they backed out because of Paul Johnson. They didn't want to deal with that. Um, and then the UCF game was pushed back from 2017 from the hurricane when they canceled uh, kind of randomly and um, ended up costing that team a trip to go to a bowl game because they only played 11 games that season uh, and finished at five and six. Um so that's how those games fall on the schedule. Someone was like, why would you schedule that? Well, it wasn't – neither one of those were really intentionally set to be played then. They just fell into this – they were trying to slot them in to, to get get them off the schedule. Um, so, yeah, normally I think instead of UCF, they would have been playing like Akron or, or you know, you know Western Michigan or whatever. Um, so, you know, Mac school or, or – even a fun belt school or something. I don't know if I'd play the Mac if I were them. Apparently uh, that's a bad idea, but 
Um, you could play. Uh, yeah, I would be happy to if I was Georgia Tech uh, admin to schedule UConn right now as a non-conference game. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that one. Um, or uh, UMass. Yeah. Exactly. UMass AD's former Ryan Bamford, the former Georgia Tech associate AD or assistant AD or whatever his title was. So uh, I tried to get Ryan to schedule a home and away, uh, like a two for one with Georgia Tech. You wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, that would have been cool. It would have been interesting to see because UMass plays in like a really tiny on campus stadium. Um, that's where my parents went to school for those who don't know. And uh that would have been a fun trip for me my my family's still there they play in um mcgurk state alumni stadium which is 1700 seats in uh, amherst massachusetts it looks kind of like um like sort of like a, a crappier high school stadium you would see in texas um like a low end like most of the high school stadiums in texas are actually nicer than than this one um that's where they play. Uh, I, I thought that would have been a cool home and away, but whatever. Um, instead, they're going to play uh, Central Florida and an Old Miss, and you know, probably a resurgent Florida State team. So uh, that'll be fun. Um, yeah, that's much different. Yeah, it's a little different than playing, you know, UMass and and you know, Cal, right? Like, which is the type of games they're trying to get on the schedule going forward. They're going to play Colorado, for example. You don't feel like you need to play Auburn or Ole Miss right now or um, Tennessee or, or you know, LSU or something. Play – it should be cool playing, um, you know, playing Purdue or uh, – you know, Kansas or whatever, like, and not, they've played Kansas recently in non-conference, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Schedule's hard uh, enough. You play in Georgia every year in Clemson. Like, do you really need to play old mess or, or Florida or whatever? Like that just doesn't seems, seems like a, a way of, you're lining yourself up for failure, right? Go play, you know, Indiana where you have a fighting chance, you know, like, um, I, you know, that was one of the things that Paul Johnson used to complain a lot about. He was like, the schedule was insane. Um, so yeah, over the next couple of years, just to, on this quick tangent, Ole Miss and at central Florida next year at Georgia. Okay. 2023 at Ole Miss, um, Georgia and Bowling Green is the uh, the Mac school there and an FCS game probably 24 they play Notre Dame and Georgia again Notre Dame here at Georgia 25 you go Colorado at Colorado you get the return game from Temple from 2019 and Georgia here and then this is the fun one Russell 2026 Colorado and Bobby Dodd at Georgia State, at Georgia. You say at Georgia State? Yep. Who agreed to that? Uh, the current administration. That is not a – I don't believe that is an older scheduled game. I believe that was scheduled after Jeff got the job because I believe that was one of the schools that Paul Johnson refused to play because he said 
there is no upside to playing that any of the in-state schools like that. Um, Cause if you lose, you'll never hear the end of it. Sounds about right. I mean, that, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, ask Josh Pastner what about that from last year, like basketball. Uh, he avoided that for the longest time playing those teams, Pastner, like, cause he just saw no upside. Right. And then co- with the COVID stuff, they ended up having to play Mercer and Georgia State and all that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you think getting staying on that type of topic, um, you know, in the national landscape of college football, it's been an absolutely uh, insane last, I don't even know how many hours it's been, but, you know, with, with all of the changes and stuff. And, it, and looking back at like the bit, the first one that kind of, led to Brian Kelly ending up at LSU was the fact that boosters at LSU had such high pride for their program that they just couldn't stand to hire Louisiana Lafayette's head coach. Yeah. Billy Napier is going to Florida. Yeah. They just, they just couldn't do it. They couldn't stomach the fact that they were going to hire what they would not even consider a little brother. Like that's like their son the school is like you know that in louisiana yeah. row and the, yep. the other the lower level schools in that area uh, because you know lsu is supposed to run the state and but the the high level boosters that played a big role in the decision to go get brian kelly decided that they just couldn't stomach hiring hiring uh the, the group of five coach i'm trying to remember um God, I told you this quote, but when I saw it, there's a picture, viral picture going around of Brian Kelly's first address at LSU. Oh my gosh, there is it. It's so, uh, it's so bad. Um, it looks like no one cares like what he's saying. And I always think back to what Al Gross said to us when he got fired by Paul Johnson as defensive coordinator. I think it was something to the effect of, I felt like a Catholic at a Baptist something or other, like it was just a, a, you know, not a fit. Right. And I have a really hard time seeing a guy who's as uptight as Brian Kelly working out. It's sort of like when Butch Jones got hired at Tennessee, like I just, uh, this reeks of disaster and, you know, leaving a program that's literally, what were they fifth or sixth in the the college football thing today? Might've been seventh. They were in the top seven, right. With a chance to, to make the playoffs still. And he goes to LSU. We're going to play Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi state, probably Texas and Oklahoma, right. Going forward. Yep. Arkansas. Who's no pushover with, with Pittman right now. Instead of uh, who did Notre Dame play? Let's let's look at let's pull up the stats as they say, um, you know. So that the so, so Notre Dame this year um, played Florida State, Toledo, Purdue, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, which they lost at VT, Southern Cal with an interim coach. UNC Navy at Virginia, Georgia Tech, and at Stanford, who uh, finished with the same crappy record as Georgia Tech, three wins. Who did LSU play? 
you ask? I will tell you real quick. LSU opened the season with a loss at UCLA, who ended up, I think, ranked after that. McNeese Cowboys, Central Michigan, who is not an easy team, at Mississippi State, Auburn, at Kentucky, Florida, at Old Miss, at Alabama, Arkansas. They played the Warhawks from Louisiana Monroe and Texas A&M. I forgot them in the teams they play all the time. They played at the time one, two, three, four, five, six, seven ranked teams this season at the time yep. they played them. And, you know, there's a little bit of artificial SEC ranking probably with a couple of those. They played on their other schedule, two. One yeah. of which they lost, which was Cincinnati. So yeah. you tell me what's the, you know, like some of these people are crazy. I think Billy Napier will do a good job at Florida. I think that was a smart hire by them. Um, you know, I I don't whatever for whatever reason, Dan Mullen just didn't work out there. And I don't know what's they've really struggled since um Urban Meyer left and whatever mojo that program has seems to be not quite right. Um, but man, this has been crazy watching this stuff. And you probably still see, you could see Matt Campbell go to like Notre Dame or Oklahoma. You could see Luke Fickle leave Cincinnati for Notre Dame or stay. You could see, um, and then look at the deal Mel Tucker got like, my God. They gave him an insane contract with basically no body of work at all. He had like a half a season last year and what this season this year, right? Yeah. And he got paid an insane deal. Lincoln Riley got a Brinks truck backed up to him. So did Brian Kelly. Um, yeah. And, you know, at Georgia Tech, they're rounding up pennies to pay an offensive coordinator. Like, it's a little bit of a different deal, dude. Like, you know the you know lincoln riley's probably shining his shoes with the money that they paid dave patno to half a million bucks or whatever lincoln riley's got that in his chest of drawers in his house like um it's just a different animal and if when people want to understand like what the differences are in these things that's that's what it comes down to is is money and investment and you know georgia tech's been in the bottom half of the acc for um that's probably eight, nine years, 10 years now in terms of staff compensation for assistance. It catches up with you when you don't have a pool of money to pay people. Um, they're, they're dedicated now to fixing that from what I understand. So that's going to be the other kind of wild card is these bringing us full circle as they try to fill these spots. And well, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in and um, who's willing to kind of jump on a, an uncertain boat right now at Georgia Tech too. Um, you know, it's not, this is not year one. It's not even year two. Um, it's year three and, you know, they're struggling and everybody saw that Georgia game and what the stadium looked like. That was a, a sobering moment for people too. So um, it's going to be really interesting. And I think they've turned a corner quite a bit this year, but, you know, they're going to have to turn it even more to turn, you know, to get to where they need to get to, to, to satisfy the fan base. And they're gonna have to upset some teams and, and show some real progress on the field. And it remains to be seen if they can do that. And, 
you know, it's not taking the piss out of anybody or being a dick about it or whatever. It's just the honest truth. Like you got to win now, right? It was win 2021. It needs to be, we better damn win 2022 or we're all getting fired. Like, um, cause that's where we're at. And that's just the nature of the business, man. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think something that's kind of caught and I think it's maybe given fans a little bit of a, a reality check is the way that the, um, the way that the recruiting class has reacted to this whole situation where they basically shrugged it off. Um, yeah. You know, that's like, been really interesting too, right? Like everyone thought that would be, you know, 10 dig decommits right now and the ship be sinking and Jaron Willis is going to be gone and yeah, all exactly. this other stuff. And it's sort of just been most of the guys that we talked to are like, yeah, we're going to come in and fix this. Yeah. And I mean, with Jaron, he's, He's still on the fence. He's trying to figure out if he can enroll early. I mean, you've got you've got kids who want to be a part of the solution. Like the one kid I was talking to, who I'm not going to say his name, um, but he was like adamant because he was at the game on Saturday, and he was obviously a little not upset, but just like taken aback. I guess taken aback. But... Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And. He was like, you know what, this class we're gonna we're gonna get these we're gonna get this these colors changed and like, you know, get them back to where they need to be. And you know, everybody talks about the white and gold, and then navy as well, obviously. But you know, just <laughs> just just getting the um, just just getting the, the the crowd and the fans back back to what it it needs to be. And you know, the the last few days have been so. I wouldn't say exhausting. I would say like eye-opening for the the recruits just to see how much Georgia Tech fans actually do care in a way. Um, it, but- it's weird right now. It seems like, I mean, on our end, and I'm not going to get into specifics of our business, but the amount of interest in the last seven, last nine days in this program is higher than I've seen at any point in my you know, I started in 2009. So whatever that math is, 12, 13 years. Um, yeah, 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's a peak right now, which is sort of fascinating to me. Um, and I think hopefully maybe it was a galvanizing moment what happened there. And hopefully Jeff for his sake can, can, can seize on that momentum. Right. And, you know, the truth of it is every, you know, most of the other programs are doing pretty well around the, around tech right now so he's sort of the outlier at the moment with you know men's and women's basketball had really good seasons last year and and are off to good starts you have the volleyball program that's in the ncaa tournament um softball's been better it's not the train wreck it was um you know you look around these things and and you know the baseball obviously um really loaded up with talent I was gonna say you generational can't, you can't, talent, yeah, uh, like Parada. So, um, you know, to me, the next step, right, is the the football. Can the football piece? Because that's the big money maker, right? So they need football and men's basketball to be strong. Those support everyone else, and um, and you know, Jeff has got to lift his part of the weight. And if he doesn't, you know, there'll be changes. And the one thing that I will say too on that end. 
is if there are eventually changes, like this, whoever walks in is going to have a more talented roster than Jeff Collins walked into. Um, just off of what they've recruited in terms of talent. I think that I, th- I think there was plenty of talent when he got there, but I think the issue was there was not a lot of depth. Um, things thinned out after you got out of like the fir- top, maybe 35 guys on the roster. It really kind of fell off a cliff a little bit. Um, I think now they're much deeper. Um, and, you know, they got to develop those cats though, man. Like, and that's the next step in the evolution of this program. Absolutely. And on that note, I think we will wrap this up. Uh, thanks, Russell. And uh, we'll be back. Sooner than later, maybe we'll uh, come back when they they figure out this offensive coordinator mess. And hopefully by the next time we podcast, uh, maybe next week, they'll have a we'll have some new coaches to talk about and and some other fun stuff and probably more uh, portal news uh, one way or the other. But um, this has been the Jackets on my podcast.